Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lenders. Woo! As an adult, don't we all miss spring break? Nothing like taking a week off from all your responsibilities. Well, here's the next best thing for adults a spring break from house payments. SaveWithConrad.com can help you get rid of all your credit card debt just like that. We're routinely helping our listeners save five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. And you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this, but check this out no house payments for two months at SaveWithConrad.com. Hey guys, it's the hardcore legend Mick Foley here, and I need to call a quick time, a brief time out, because I wanted to tell your listeners what I have been telling Foley and Bob listeners about all the cool things happening over on adfreeshow.com. An all-new edition of The Insiders is here, as Conrad sits down with former WWE exec John Filippelli who discusses his transition from the world of sports to pro wrestling and his ultimate transition out of the company. Every take was getting worse than the one before it. I said, you gotta stop. You gotta stop this. You gotta calm down. Stop. Calm down. Stop yelling at people. Take it easy. Tell them exactly what you want and we'll get through it. Which is, I have done a hundred times since and I would do a hundred times more. Yes. But that was Vince McMahon and you don't do that to Vince McMahon, particularly in front or around other people. people. Yeah. Was, that was my mistake. I mean, if you want to call it a mistake, although I would do it, I've done it since, and I would do it again. Referee Nick Patrick is answering your questions every other Monday on our new mailbag series. The Hall and Nash was there. You know, they did great work, so they could get beat head psychology. But they were cool. And a lot of people liked it, you know? Yeah, they were selling merch, you know? And, and, and Hogan had heat. He, he had actually more heat than them. You know, they had heat. But a lot of people liked them because they were cool. I was like the only real character that they was calling in W all the time that everybody hated. You know, like, yeah, everybody wanted to see me get <laughs> so it worked. You know, they had you know so they had that, you know, Yeah, and uh, so it worked, you know. Tony and Conrad have taken their shenanigans in front of a live studio audience as they sat down live with Ad Free Shows members. Hey, um, did you ever uh pet Jake Snake? No, never did. I had a chance to in Chicago, but it was it was way too big and out of my league. Mm. What's the right size snake for you? 
Uh, one that just coils up and leaves me alone. Yeah. Have you ever orange to Cassidy before? Orange to Cassidy? Yeah. Would that be with a, with one of those juicers? The juice machine? Or <laughs> just squeeze it until all the juice comes out of it? <laughs> yeah. It rubs down your leg or his leg. You one gotta, or the you got to be specific here with your dumbass questions here, Cassio. in sports entertainment. Hello and welcome to Arn. This is Paul Bromwell, and today I'm joined by the Hall of Famer, founder of the Four Horsemen, creator of the Spine Buster, and a man who in October of 1991 had won the tag team titles with Oli, Tully, and now Larry. He's the enforcer. He's double A. He's Arn Anderson. Arn, how are you this week? Hello. I'm beginning, you know, I'm starting to look at all this history starting to pile up. And I'm beginning to think, you know, I was. I'm pretty damn good, wasn't I, at one you, point? You had a pretty good damn career. Pretty you know? damn good. That's right. And that's why you now, 30-plus years later, you have a podcast to talk about it. It was so good. Wow. That's amazing, isn't it? It's something else, man. I'm just privileged to be here. Me too. Uh, well, listen, the fans are digging it. They're loving the show. The feedback has been awesome lately. And people are enjoying your stories, Arn. So I can't thank you enough for taking time out to do this each and every week. Before we jump into October, because I know I'm chomping at the bit, we got some clips to play, some reactions to get, and some storytelling to do. I wanted to mention, because as this drops, it is the weekend here in Ohio. And you and Brock, you're in Ohio. Glory Days Bash event, March 11th, as this hits the May feed uh this event is being held at the ouc shoemaker center uh the fan fest began at 12 o'clock noon ends at five o'clock two hours prior to bell time and alongside you and brock not only do they get you and brock if that's not enough they're going to get the chance to meet tommy young the great referee ricky morton bobby fulton and both their sons carrie morton and jaron fulton the father-son connection at this event is amazing between you and brock ricky and carrie and bobby and jaron i mean that's pretty good uh, pretty good uh you know meet and greets for these fans well and passing the business on to the next generation that's our obligation and you know if if I'm Ricky Morton's son, I go, God Almighty, you know, if I hadn't figured it out yet, when you see the reaction that Ricky still gets, him and Robert, to these, at all these towns and, and the other, you know, top shelf performers throughout the last 30 years that talk about him so highly, you know, you got to be going, damn, that's pretty cool. Ricky Morton's my dad. And, and the same thing goes with, Tom, you know, Bobby Fulton. He was a tremendous performer in his day. And he's still got a great mind for the business and a lot to offer. It's just uh, it's an honor to have Brock and I in that mix of guys, bust less all the other incredible talents going to be there. 
So listen, if you're in the area, go today, check it out. You still have time to head over there as this drops at 6.05 a.m. Eastern here uh, on the main feed. Uh, but on with that. Let's get into it, man. Last week, we talked about how you and Larry had won the Tag Team Championships. You defeated Rick Steiner and Bill Kazmaier in the finals of the World Tag Team Championship Tournament at Clash of the Champions. You took advantage of that rib injury, that steel plate uh, right in the ribs uh, that Larry and you had caused earlier in the show. We also talked about your opponents for Halloween Havoc, Firebreaker Chip and Todd Champion. But before we get to Chattanooga, Let's take a look at the build to the tag match. And we start on October 5th. It's you and Larry, and you're wrestling an enhancement match on October 5th, 1991 edition of World Championship Wrestling. Chris Sullivan and John Douglas. All right, those are two names you didn't think you'd hear today on the show. Uh, they had their spot taken by the fabulous Freebirds who had attacked them before the match. So the Enforcers and the Freebirds picked up where we left off last week, talking about the different teams you guys worked against. And in our first clip of the week, let's take a look at what went down in this unsanctioned match, Arn. Here we start, clip one, October 5th, 1991. Chris Sullivan! And ladies and gentlemen, their opponents at a total combined weight of 500 and five. Well, Gary Capetta tried to introduce the World Tag Team Champions, Anderson and Zabisco, who are making their way to the ring. But there's a stereo DDT from the birds. Here come Anderson and Zabisco. for the Freebirds to take on the Enforcers. We know that the Birds won the World Tag Team Championship. Zabisco and Hayes locked up. Well, this match may progress, fans, but I will assure you that it is not a sanctioned event. Well, I don't understand this. I mean, John Douglas and Chris Sullivan had the opportunity of a lifetime, a non-title match with the Enforcers. And now the Freebird, wham! right hands throws Zabisco back in the ring and now Hayes and Zabisco are paired off in this very impromptu unofficial tag team event I mean I don't understand this this is not a sanctioned match Hayes went for the DDT but the tag was made it was a blind tag Anderson is the legal man in there now with Michael P.S. Hayes like for example tonight in Lakeland Florida all the matches sanctioned by world championship wrestling this is not a sanctioned encounter how can you have the enforcers and the freebirds on TV without sanctioning Hayes went for the ride there trying to grab anything he can He's got Anderson down the sunset flip, but from behind comes Zabisco. We talked about this matchup several weeks ago that the Freebirds were negotiating for a tag team event. Well, that match has been signed, but this is not it. They just did not want to wait to get their hands on Anderson and Zabisco. Very impatient. The fabulous Freebirds did not want to wait for their world tag team title match. And here you see now the enforcers and the Freebirds. We got more than we bargained for tonight, Jimbo. There's a sleeper by Hayes. And Anderson's in big trouble here. 
Good counter move. He got him up. Wasn't sure if he could get him up, but he did. Bell to back suplex, and Anderson makes a very timely tag to Larry Zabisco. Well, it serves the Freebirds right. Wham! Beautiful neckbreaker by Zabisco. There's a lateral press. He's going for the pin, and referee Randy Anderson is in a very precarious position. He's officiating the match as if it were sanctioned. Again, it is not. And here you see Zabisco now work. Oh, man! Cheap shot by Jimmy Jam Garvin. The Freebirds are as proficient at breaking the rules as are the enforcers. And the Freebirds, former two-time tag team champions, certainly want the opportunity to wrestle for those titles once again as Anderson with a front face lock on Hayes and a cheap shot on Garvin. Which draws in Jimmy Jam Garvin and allows Anderson and Zabisco the opportunity for that classic double-team tag team wrestling. Zabisco, the living legend with the vertical suplex on Michael Hayes. And now he'll go for the cover. He got two, and that's all this time. I think anything that happens to the Freebirds tonight, they got coming their way. I mean, after all, who do they think they are interrupting my speech at the beginning of the show? Hayes trying to fight out of the corner. Nailing Zabisco and Anderson, but Anderson with a shoulder block to the midsection. And what a competitive, physical matchup these two are having, completely unscheduled. Anderson going for those elbows, Hayes able to avoid them and make the tag. And Garvin's a fresh man, and he's taking on both members of the Enforcers. Now all four men have entered this contest. Garvin sends Anderson in, and Garvin is caught with a vicious elbow to the back of the head. Anderson's getting ready to finish him off. All right, that left hand by Hayes. He's got him cradled, and Anderson is going to be pinned. Well, the Freebirds are going to get the one, two, three, but remember, this is an unofficial match. This match never even took place. How could it be a one, two, I don't like it, Arn. That was unsanctioned. I don't like seeing you take the pin there. But, dude, that was fast-paced. You talk about, uh, you know, never slowing down on that match. Did you like these sprints every once in a while? It wasn't that traditional 15 minutes, you know, slug it out kind of match. No, I did. And the fact that it, they kept stressing it was unsanctioned, I liked the pace going because the longer you have to think about it on a situation like that, well, if it's non-sanctioned, why is the referee treating it? like a regular right. match True. and you start to ask all these questions it's wrestling that's why yeah, that's right that's why you would get away with some stuff and uh you know like i said those guys you know they were you know they were a very good team and uh it's unfair to compare them to the original Freebirds, but they were having a good time they were good buddies they were getting to be partners it was that alone is worth its weight in gold there's uh, something else that I wanted to talk a little bit about here. As we talk about Jim Ross, and we and we seem to uh, week in and week out here on the show, I wanted to talk a little bit about Paul Lee because here he is. Uh, he's on commentary with JR, and JR's often said that Paul could be a huge pain in the ass back in the day. But, man, he was the perfect foil and antagonist for him when you're listening to these two guys on commentary. We know that Paul is one of those guys. He seems to be one of the best interviews in the business the last 30 years probably. But his commentary, 
Barry is pretty good here too. Why do you think that uh, Dangerously or Heyman, however you prefer to you know call him, why do you think it was easy for him to make that transition from interviewer and commentary so easily? Uh, he was just a kid back then. You know, I don't know how old he was when that this era came along. You got you know off the top of your head, Paul. Uh, this would have been well, yeah. I mean, ninety one. How, how old? How old, how old was, was he? Mm, I don't know. Let me look up and see how old he is now. And 24, then 25, maybe. maybe. Let's see. This is uh, 30, 32 years ago. Uh, let me just see here. Tap into the Google machine so that we could give it to him as quick as we can here. And, of course, my uh, Internet doesn't want to participate. But uh, he had to be in his 20s, I would assume. You know, he was still young to the business. But you could tell he was a student and he studied. And he, you know, his commentary. He was a, he was, he was a great heel to go against Jr., who was told it like it was babyface announcer. Uh, but you know, the thing I liked about uh, Jr., if a heel did something tremendous, even though it had a negative connotation to it, he would still go ahead and say, "Hey, even though you may question the integrity of it, it was still a great thing to do in the match," or something like that. He just reported the news, and uh, he didn't put so much of a political slant on it. Right. Well, Arm, because this was a non-sanctioned affair, you and Larry kept the tag team titles, as I said earlier. And even though you and Larry are a committed team, you still wrestled in singles matches. And on October 6th, you wrestled your old pal, the dog-faced gremlin, Rick Steiner, who, my goodness, as you probably suspect, this was a very physical encounter, to say the least. Uh, no, this isn't a blue chew transition. Instead, we're going to take a look at the two of you as you hook up on October 6, 1991. Uh, it's the main event. Again, October 6. It's you and the dog-faced gremlin. Let's take a look. I'm not familiar with it, unfortunately. Kick to the ribs by Arn Anderson. And uh, Zabisco, I guess, is going to stay out here to offer uh, what probably would be considered ill-moral support. Abdominal stretch. Nicely applied by Arn Anderson. Boy, the Steiners have been dominant. A lot of the teams you see on television that hold titles elsewhere or have held titles elsewhere have been soundly defeated by the Steiner brothers. I really believe that the Steiners, if at 100%, are the greatest tag team in the world. But Anderson and Zabisco are the world tag team champions, and they are physically and mentally 100%. Anderson avoided that elbow. Lucky for him. Here's some comments. Before we send it to the Braves this afternoon from Abdul the Butcher and Cactus Jack, maybe they should drop by and visit the uh, Astros Clubhouse. Maybe uh, Cactus could put a hex on them or something. Now Rick Steiner working on the leg of Arn Anderson. Looks like Thanksgiving. He's going to make a wish. Great crowd on hand. There's nothing like seeing a live WCW event as the dog face came with a high impact. 
got uh, a little close there. I don't think it got him below the belt in a disqualification uh, situation, but he sure hammered those those uh, thigh muscles. Elbow. Great right hands. And Anderson rakes the eyes. And Zabisco and Anderson bring him together. Oh, what a Steiner line. He caught him with it. And he's going to pin him. Can he do it next week to Zabisco? And now Zabisco's in. Zabisco stomping away at Rick Steiner. Stop, stop him in the chest. And in the solar plexus, these two will hook it up right here Ladies next Sunday. The winner of the match is Will. Please, we'll be right back. Don't go away. Rick uh, looked really good here, Arn. I mean, I know we all think about him with his, working with his brother mostly now, but, man, he can still get it done as a singles wrestler. Yeah, he's, he was at the peak of his, yeah. you know, everything, health, uh, strength in the weight room. You know, you're starting to come along. You're starting to learn the business. Yeah, yeah, Steiner was, he was a commodity, that's for sure. Arn, wrestling the likes of Rick Steiner will take it out of any professional wrestler, no matter the caliber of performer he might be. The only way for anyone to recover from a physical encounter with the dog-faced gremlin is a good night's sleep. And the best way to do that is cold. And we've talked about it here on the show in the past. And for that reason, it's time we bring back one of our oldest partners. It's Sleep Me. Formerly Chili Sleep Arn, Sleep mm. Me makes customizable, climate-controlled sleep solutions that help you improve your entire well-being. And Arn, we know how important it is to get a good night's sleep, don't we? Nobody likes a hot room or a hot bed to try to rest. They may think they do, but they don't. It's got to be cool in the room, get underneath the covers, and then let your body warm up the covers a little bit. But it needs to be a cool environment, for me anyway. Um, I'm right there with you. And listen, Sleep Me is here to take care of you with that. They make the Oler and the Cube Sleep Systems. They're hydropower, temperature-controlled mattress toppers. They fit right over your existing mattress to provide you your ideal sleep temperature. You can set the temperature at what you want, and that's what you'll get for the entire night's sleep. From, for an extra layer of comfort, they also have the Chili Blanket. And yes, it's still called the Chili Blanket. The only weighted blanket that can also be paired with the control unit for the ultimate ultimate sweat-free sleep. We don't want to sleep sweaty. We've talked about it on this show before. No thank you. That's not for Arn. That's not for me. And that's not for many of you. You get that good deep sleep uh, that you're looking for. You need that good deep and that good REM sleep. And you need to be cool to do it. So check it out. Head over to sleep.me forward slash Arn. This is all brand new web website, sleep.me forward slash Arn to learn more and save 25% off the purchase of any new Doc Pro, Uller, or Cube Sleep system. This offer is available exclusively for Arn listeners and for a limited time. That's sleep.me slash Arn to take advantage of our exclusive discount and wake up refreshed every day. So, Arn, last week we talked about four different teams that you and Larry faced during the month of September. And in our next clip, you and Larry take on the Screaming Eagles. 
They're built out of Liverpool, England. And for anyone not watching our show, this is the Freebirds under black hoods, wearing the same tights they were wearing in our opening clip. Arn, in our third clip of the week, let's take a look at how the Screaming Eagles fared against the Enforcers with the tag team titles on the line. This has got a lot of Midnight Rider feels, uh, the Midnight Rider feel to it. You know what I mean? Here we go. This is from October 12, 1991. Later on in the show, we're wrestling a couple of idiots called the Screaming Eagles from Liverpool, England. You know, I guess that tells me, Arn, that the Freebirds and Steiner and his partner Harry Henderson, Kazmaier, and the Patriots are all scared to death of us, the heavyweight tag team champions of the world. Well, listen, Eagles, I don't think that you understand who you're dealing with. You are dealing with the last two real men on the face of the planet Earth. And you guys are gonna wind up just like our great national symbol, the American bald eagle. You two jerks are gonna be on the endangered species list. Your motive is the same as the Freebirds, the Patriots, Steiner, and whoever he can get to come out of the woodwork and be his partner to be the world champions we think a lot of your motive your means leave a lot to be desired you don't want to give us any information about you fine we'll adapt we got here because it was our destiny to be world tag team champions and we'll point that out to you firsthand we may be number one in england you clowns but we're number one in the world they are indeed focusing on the leg they are a well-known machine, speaking of the enforcers. Pure wrestling tag team champions. Thought they made the tag. Apparently not. Now they do. And Anderson wants the leg. And I don't know, quite frankly, how much more this masked man that strongly resembles Michael Hayes can take. You just won't admit it. Because you're not the one that was duped. If you're the one that was duped, you'd be on my cellular phone with Jim Hurd getting these guys fined, barred, and suspended for life. He's fighting back with all he has, and look at look at the Anderson's legs. Preventing again this uh, screaming eagle from making a tag. And this is for the World Tag Team Championship. Now, Jimmy Jam makes the tag there. Whoa, now who else hits like that? Nobody but Michael Hayes. Toast that right off the top by Jimmy Jam Garvin, and I think he's the legal man in the ring. And I smell upset here. The World Tag Team titles might change hands. The fans wanting a DDT. Outside goes Arn Anderson, and now it leaves, if it is, Jimmy Jam Garvin and Larry Zabisco in the ring. Hayes and Anderson battling outside as well. Big time right hand on the back. Hayes rammed into the post. That's right, it is Hayes. From behind. He got him! He got him with a DDT! He caught him with a DDT! And Anderson just hit Garvin in the face with a championship belt. Oh, but it's not Garvin and it's not a face. It's an eagle and a mask. And it's, they got the pin. Ladies and gentlemen, the winners of the match, the World Tag Team Champions, the Enforcers. Well, Anderson used the championship belt. The Screaming Eagles or Freebirds, whatever you want to call them, going to leave here with a belt around their face. 
not stuck around their waist and not stuck in their face. There you go, the Screaming Eagles. What did you think of that whole uh, angle, putting the mask on them and, 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 and calling them the... He's, for those that aren't watching on YouTube, he's giving it a mediocre wave of the hand there. Okay. I don't think you accomplished much. No, I agree. I mean, and, and, and it didn't continue on, really. It didn't head anywhere. It's not like you two would end up taking on each other at Halloween Havoc either. It, it, I felt like this is the second time this month we've seen you guys, you know, involved in something with the Freebirds and to not see it, you know, kind of potentially be something that turns into a feud leading towards Halloween Havoc. Hmm, interesting. It was just a placeholder, probably for lack of a better idea. Yeah. Well, listen, by the way, I did go back and look. Paul Heyman was 26 years old uh, at this time. So just to validate where we were. Yeah. Well, uh, we move on. And to this point, on October 20th, 91, the episode of the main event, you and Larry take on Rick Steiner in a handicap match with the Freebirds and Steiner's Quarter. Again, there's a lot going on here with the Freebirds. We do have the closing moments of that match. And in our fourth clip of the week, let's find out what happens when Rick Steiner took on both you and Larry. Uh, this is from October 20th, 1991. Back in May, now AAR and Anderson back in. The deadly southpaw. And the Freebirds would just love to get involved in this one if they had the opportunity. It's Anderson with the left hand. Rick Steiner now in a day state, even more than normal. Sunset flip. Can he make the tag? Yeah, he made the tag there. That was a great tag by Anderson and Zabisco. And Zabisco in with a blatant choke. Steiner now. At a distinct disadvantage with a falling the neck breaker. There's a lateral press. Referee down, and Steiner got the shoulder up just barely. Succession of vicious kicks by Larry the Lip Zabisco. And a standing vertical suplex. It was well done. He may have him right here, but Steiner again showed great tenacity. He is not a quitter got the shoulder up and just refusing to be pinned here. Ran face first into the shoe of uh, Arn Anderson. Boy, the crowd here having a great time. Sleeper by Steiner. Much like the crowd. Looks like his cousin's back. They will see this Tuesday night in Columbus, Georgia at the Municipal Auditorium. 7 o'clock starting time this Tuesday night in Columbus. A city and a facility with a great deal of wrestling heritage. Kick right there to the face by the dog-faced gremlin. The Bisco and Anderson now are going to try to keep uh, Steiner in their corner. Making quick tags, making frequent tags. And they gotta be looking over their shoulder because they know the birds hate them. The best goes up. He's not real uh, first or very comfortable with these flying moves, but he's preparing to soar here. No, from behind it was Arn Anderson. And here come the free birds. Outside from behind, the Freebirds and the Enforcers now hooking it up again. 
Remember, Saturday morning on the Power Hour, it'll be the Zabisco and Garvin. The enforcers are leaving the scene of this. Ladies and gentlemen, here are your winners, the World Tag Team Champions, the Enforcers. So, Arn, I got to say it here. This is this airs on October the 20th. You would think, having watched the month of, of, as we have, that this is all building to the main event, to, to a match at Halloween Havoc between you and the Freebirds. Wouldn't you? But Yeah, well, that'd be a logical choice. But is it? But that's not what happens. That's not what happens. Uh, footnote here, Rick Steiner is, like I said, he's by himself in this one, but they're buying some time here because Scott does come back at Halloween Havoc. But it just feels like the creative is just a little unfocused. And personally, I would have rather seen the Enforcers and the Freebirds at the pay-per-view. But it is what it is. We're about to get to that butt, and we're about to tell everyone what happened. Ours is not to question why. Ours is just to go wrestle. There you go. Well, here we are. Halloween Havoc, Arn. We're here. And for you, uh, this event will help shape the next several months of your career. And we're going to get into it. Halloween Havoc 1991 took place in Chattanooga, Tennessee at the UTC Arena in front of an audience of 8,900 fans, Arn. This is the first Halloween Havoc solely under the WCW banner, as the previous two had been co-branded with the NWA. The event had 11 matches on the card. The show opens with Eric Bischoff interviewing the event's participants as they would arrive to the building. And during the open, Dustin Rhodes and Barry Windham arrived, and you and Larry attacked Windham, breaking his arm in the car door in the, star- the storyline. Uh, we will continue to talk about this next week when we cover the Clash of the Champions that featured the return of the Dragon. Uh, but interesting, interestingly here, and simply because there was no other way to negotiate the logistics of it, the Chambers of Horrors matches opens the show. And uh, now, Arn, in case you've forgotten, this is Sting the Steiners, and the eight-foot stiff, Elegante, taking on Vader, the diamond stud, who we would know go on to be Scott Hall, the madman from the Sudan, Abdul the Butcher, and Cactus Jack. And this match takes place in a cage that surrounds the ring and has a high ceiling. The combatants wrestled for several minutes before the chair of torture descended from the roof of the chamber. The object of the match is to strap your opponent in the chair and electrocute him. Yes, Arn, this is real as your eyes are closed. The research guy texted me about this match and described it as required reading for any wrestling fan and recommended you do it in a 420 friendly environment with that on our fifth clip of the week let's take a look at the chamber of horrors yes arn i'm going to make you watch this with me here we go i want to be there and cactus jack is up near the switch cactus jack is up near the switch there he is they're ready they're going to put steiner in there steiner's got to fight for his life oh he fell in the He's getting cooked, and I think he's 
well done, guys. <laughs> well done. <laughs> what a wild matchup. The ring's even on fire. They use sticks, they use steel. A lot of blood was spilled, and Abdullah felt the power of the chair of torture. Ladies and gentlemen, the winners of the Chamber of Horrors, the team of El Gigante, the Steiner Brothers, and Steve! Now, Jim, apparently the big guy is still out. Dear God, Arn, there it is. It's uh, unbelievable what we just witnessed here. I smell barbecue. Yeah. And it's well-cooked Abdullah the Butcher barbecue. I, I don't really know what to say. Yeah. Well, I, I tell you what. This match, there's a few things that help uh, kind of put it, make it a failure. Uh, you talk about the production challenges. The match had to open the show, Arn, because of the time it took to construct this monstrosity. Other concerns included the chair sitting in the middle of the ring, the switch falling down with no one near it. Shooting this style match with eight man with eight men in it and a monstrosity of this gimmick, making it extremely difficult to get clean shots, camera shots. Cactus tries he might couldn't get the timing right and was clearly watching Steiner and Abdullah. Uh, even with the issues, it's quite the spectacle. The problem I have with starting the pay per view with a match like this is you electrocuted a man. And in the very next match, it's Big Josh and PN News defeating the creatures in a glorified <laughs> squatch match on pay-per-view. As a performer, from your point of view, is it even possible to follow what we just saw in that in the first match? I don't I don't think so. I mean, wait, so how long did it take to pull that monstrosity down? I can't even imagine. I mean, I, I, I don't even know. I, 30, I would, 30 minutes, 45 minutes. You got to think so. I mean, this I is live just logistically. I mean, I'm not a I'm not yeah. an engineer, but let's just say. So you have that, then you have that much downtime, and then you come back with a match like that. Yeah, that meant that meant nothing. It's if you're talking about building a show in those days, least important to most important, which you tried to do, I think, like a like a house show card. You know what I'm saying? You would yeah. try to escalate to where there's still more that I want to see. Oh, I can't wait to see this. Oh, but this is still to come and, and let it escalate. I don't yeah. know. Fry and Abby kind of needed to close the show, I guess. And buddy, that's a lot of beef on the pig roast after that, after he's fried. Let me tell you something. This is, I mean, just picture. So you have Abdullah. He's electrocuted fans. And next we're going to have a wrestling match. I mean, those, that's just that just doesn't even go together. So yeah, let's go from frying Abbey to a headlock series. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what happened. But listen, this is a, a fan favorite for a lot of reasons. I don't get it, but even if it's wrestle crap, it's still talked about today. And our pal Brad Stanton wants to know what your reaction to hearing the rules of this match, knowing ultimately that someone was going to have to be electrocuted. What did you think yeah, of that? And that falls under rules. That was one of the rules. There's a suspension of disbelief that in this business that is tolerable and believable. And once you go way past that, I think people just go one way or the other. Well, that was different. That was entertaining. Or, boy, did that suck. What were they thinking? And there's no middle ground. 
Yeah. You're either on one side of the fence or on the other side, I think. That's probably where if you polled fans today, what do you go back in time, what do you what do you think? It'd be that kind of split. There's no middle ground there. A wrestling historian on Instagram wants to know if you recall whose idea the Chamber of Horrors match was. Sounds like a Kevin Sullivan production to me. He but goes on know. to listen to this. He goes on to say he would take Abdullah's place after seeing the match. He offers himself to do that after seeing this. I bet a large portion of the audience would wish they were the ones electrocuted after that. <laughs> yeah, just happen to sit there and watch it. Yeah, Matthew, fry me, Jesus, fry yeah, me. put me in that damn chair. Uh, Matthew Damron, he wants to know if Arn Anderson could electrocute one person he encountered during his Hall of Fame career, who would be getting the juice? Do I need to answer it? Oh, man. I know, right? Oh, I think we all know who. Matt S. asked, Arn, if you ended up in the electrocution spot rather than Abdullah, would you have tried to negotiate your way out of it? <laughs> you know, to be honest with you, I, at this point in my career, and I've said this, I never knew you could say no. I'd have probably been electrocuted. And then... Some way, somehow, by the following TV show, figure out a way to talk myself back into being alive. Right. That would have been a challenge. How do you cover that in a promo? I don't know. I'm just glad it wasn't you and it was Abdullah. He seemed like one of those monsters that could be electrocuted and come back to life somehow. You if know? anybody could do it, Abby could do it. One of the things that stood out to me is the Hall of Fame talent in the rank, Arn. Other than Elegante, of course, every one of these men were worthy of Hall of Fame induction based on their contributions to the wrestling business. And briefly, I want to discuss two of them. First, the Diamond Stud, who would go on to be known as Razor Ramon and subsequently Scott Hall. So about Scott Hall, at this time, did you guys have any meaningful interactions? Not necessarily in the ring or what have you, but had you interacted with Scott during this time when he was the Diamond Stud? Yeah, I mean course i mean you looked at the guy and you saw his size and we always said what a look the reality is in, in too many situations guys have to go to vince to have a character being built that is acceptable and i guess something you know a character given to them that they get over between the company and between the talent themselves scott's a guy that he went from being the diamond stud just to oh, that guy's got a hell of a look, to Razor Ramon. That yeah. guy's a superstar. And a lot of times you had to go to Vince to, to have that credibility bestowed upon you and get a character over, and then you would come back to other places and reap the benefits of it. Scott was one of those guys. From day one, it was like he was never the diamond stud. He was Razor Ramon, and it worked. The next guy I want to talk about is one that many fans are big fans of his character, and that's Abdullah the Butcher. We just talked about him. Mick Foley and Conrad recently covered Abdullah and Mick's relationship, focusing specifically on this run. Mick said that he felt that Abdullah made money everywhere he went and was one of the last old-school wrestlers that really terrified fans. Of course, this is near the end of Abdullah's career, having spent at this point over 40 years in wrestling, Arn. How would you uh, characterize Abdullah's run in the business? Well, I respect the fact that, you know, Abby beat his body up. You know, he bled to death every time he got went to the ring. There was no, you know, oh, he, he Abdullah was bleeding on this point, date and time. It was every time you saw him, he was bleeding to death. 
So the sacrifices that I know that he made from a performer's standpoint, you know, and he worked hard. He would make a guy have to really fight him to get him to go down. You know, he knew how to protect his gimmick, so I respected that. And uh, he really was. He was like one of the real-life monsters that you just, well, you knew he's a hum- human being, but not really. Yeah, you sometimes question. You weren't a hundred percent sure, right? Right. So, so you got to appreciate that. Yeah. Along these lines, our resident uh, Edward Jones financial advisor Lenny Bakken says, uh, "What was your relationship like with Abdullah the Butcher? Aren't any good stories? And did Abdullah ever drop kayfabe with you?" No, but the funniest thing I ever saw it was. <laughs> And it's just one of those things I look back after I became, you know, a little more seasoned. But when I first went to Charlotte, uh, you know, Paul Jones was there. He was uh, uh, managing Abdullah and I think uh, superstar Billy Graham and Barbarian, a couple, three guys. And in those days, you hooked up rides with guys going back and forth to the town. You paid trans and, you know, five cents, four or five cents a mile, whatever it was back in the day. So... Paul Jones always wanted to drive. He had a nice, big, nice Cadillac. He had been there. He was settled in, and he had Abdullah riding, and I think it was me, and I think it was superstar Billy Graham. So me being the new guy, the kid, I was anxious to not wear my car out. So I said, you know, Paul said, you want to ride with us? I said, sure. So we go to the town. Everything's normal. You know, not a lot of talking in the car. Mostly you're just kind of winding down, after working out, you jump in the car and head to the town. So not a lot of talk. Have Go to the show. I think it was uh, Fayetteville. And when we come back, uh, we're heading out of town. There's the beer stop and the store stop that the guys always stopped at. So Paul's driving his Cadillac. Abdullah's sitting in the passenger seat. And I think me and Billy were in the back. We pull up to a, a, the convenience store. He wrote, Paul's pumping the gas, he fills up his tank, and he starts around, he go, he's going inside, and <laughs> Abdullah goes, hey, champ, champ, hey, champ, champ. He called everybody champ. How about getting me a couple of chili dogs while you're in there? And he's dead serious. Paul Jones <laughs> went off. He, it's like it was just, it was like almost they were working for us. He said, what'd you say? See, yeah, pick me up a couple of chili dogs right in there. You fat son of a bitch, get out and get your own chili dogs, you stupid motherfucker. Don't ever speak to me that. Mm. And I saw this monster rise, rise up out of Paul Jones, and I went, holy shit. And I guess as you go back and think about it, it was just that disrespect for Paul, who had been there already for God knows how long, well-respected, the guy just kind of, you know, acts like he's really his manager or something. Yeah. You know, and it was one of those things. Holy shit, did, did the mood change. And I, it, it shocked me a little bit. It kind of scared me a little bit because I hadn't seen that side of either one of those guys. And uh, it's just one of those funny stories that, that, you know, that's just Abby, being Abby. And you never know, uh, Paul could have been having a bad day and just hit him different that, that day when he asked for it, and he just lost it. It could have, yeah, it could have been non-intentional the yeah. way it was perceived on both parts. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. But I, I was thinking about that, 
you know, later, a couple of years later, I don't know why it popped into my head. I just busted out laughing. Man, chili dogs sound so good, by the way. But yeah, what a story. <sighs> Well, listen, while that match was entertaining and led to some excellent discussion, our next topic is far more meaningful to your future. And uh, at Halloween Havoc 1991, the Halloween Phantom was revealed. We have the reveal in our sixth clip of the week. So let's watch this together, Arn, and then I'll have some questions for you. And Medusa brought to me is here tonight. His name is the WCW Halloween Phantom. that can help me bankrupt this company till I can fire and fire every single person that has stood in my way. The man behind this mask is the only man that's ever eliminated each and every person in his way. The man behind this mask is the only man that can crush the hopes of the little stingers until a man stands over the remnants of his career and says, Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, rest in peace, Stinger, your career is over. Ladies and gentlemen, the next United States Heavyweight Champion, Ravishing for God's sake. Can't even hear him. My women and my money. It just so happens that my money man has a problem with the World Championship Committee. And the way he sees fit to solve this problem is to dismantle the WCW brick by brick. What better way, Mr. Dangerously, to start off than with a low-life scumbag like Sting? You know, Mr. Dangerously, a couple of questions come to my mind being that I never had the opportunity to stand face to face with the stinger. I'm kind of wondering if he's really as small as he looks on television. I'm kind of wondering if he is the low-life garbage collected scumbag that he portrays on TV. Well, Sting, your days are numbered. I'm going to tear apart the WCW, and I'm going to take your United States title. So, Arn, here he is, Rick Rude. And this is a big deal for WCW back then, right? I mean, he had been feuding, you know, for much of 1990 with the Ultimate Warrior on the other channel. He left the WWF over his SummerSlam 1990 payoff. And Rude was a top heel and was one of the two people Vince trusted, could always get a good match out of with Warrior, the other being Randy Savage. Do you remember when you found out that Rick Rude was going to be joining uh, WCW? 
First of all, what was this payoff for SummerSlam? I'm just curious. I don't. I don't have that. Ah, oh, shit. Yeah. I, I hate prying, but I like to pry. <laughs> that sounds uh, like a question I would ask you. Oh, I never ask anybody what they make. It's none of my business. But you could. <laughs> it. Uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, Rude was one of those reveals that was had star had star quality. Oh yeah. That was a definite coup, and that was a definitely big deal. Um, just looking back on it, it was, you know, kind of having not blocked it and looked at it through a camera lens, and, like, it felt like a, people just kind of wandering around. You might could have figured out a way to did that with maybe just Paul. Yeah. And just Root, you know, because you got Eric in the background kind of, not having anything to do, and you got uh, Medusa kind of with nothing to do. It just just felt cluttered a little bit, and that's being a you know not music the, blaring. Yeah, and they you know not having the proper cue to cut the music. The second Rick started talking, you you dump out the music. I mean that's things that you learn as you go through the business a little little get a little more savvy. Well, now, and so I want to talk about it a little bit because you guys may have, uh, I don't know if you crossed paths at all in Georgia, but definitely worked together in the WWF as part of the Heenan family, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, we were, and uh, Rude was a bona fide star. He had his own shtick. He had a great look. You know, he could talk, and uh, he had had a good rub being part of the Heenan family up north. Yeah, so it's an exciting time if you think about it. You have a well-established, top-of-the-card heel with good Mike skills and ring talent coming into the company, and he's immediately he's laying his claim. He wants a feud with the hottest babyface. He wants to go after Sting. And uh, after a year out of action, Rude joins WCW as the Halloween Phantom, defeating Tom Zink in a bona fide squash match. Most importantly for fans of Arn Anderson, this interview with Rude, Dangerously in Medusa, is the beginning and setting the table of the Dangerous Alliance. And the next couple of weeks, we're going to discuss the creation of the most underrated faction in the history of the business. But for now, let me ask you a few questions from our fans, Arn. Scott Golden wants to know, whose idea was the creation of the Dangerous Alliance? Don't know. Probably Paul's, to be honest with you. You know, Paul had an eye for talent back then. It could have been his. Brad Stanton asks, Arn, putting a mask on as part of wrestling, but not for an established guy like Rick Rude, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're masks, especially, I mean, that was like a wrestling two mask that he had on. Mm -hmm. When they're dated like that, and you still see it today, you know, you know, different promotions. I don't know if, if they think that that's the way to go to send you back to a time of mass wrestlers. But if it's just a plain mass like that, it just it dumbs down what you're trying to do. You know, other than like a luchador mask, big elaborate something, or like when Rick, Ricky Steamboat had on the, the dragon hood. Just something other than a, a 1980 wrestling mask. If it's not elaborate, it looks, it looks cheap. Well, that's how it comes across. There's not much time or effort was put into it. Yeah. 
Well, listen, guys, we have a lot of good things coming, guys and gals, uh, for our listeners. We're going to have a lot of fun covering the Dangerous Alliance in the coming weeks. Be sure to look out for posts on social media. We're going to be sending out posts because Arn loves to interact with all of you guys, and we want to make sure we answer as many questions as possible. So on to the last two matches of this event, though. The card was headlined by a two-out-of-three-falls match between Lex Luger and Ron Simmons. Uh, Luger will be seconded by Harley Race with the American Dream Dusty Rhodes in the corner of Ron Simmons and a, and a fun little Easter egg for the NWA traditionalists knowing the battles with race and roads had in the late seventies and early eighties over the 10 pounds of gold. It's just cool to see them both kind of standing in their man's corner here in this championship match. Arn uh, Simmons would lose the encounter with Luger, but this was the first main event match on the big stage for Ron Simmons. How happy were you uh, for your real life friend, Ron Simmons for main eventing a world title match on pay-per-view in front of this large crowd? It was time. It was time to him move, for him to move up a step and move up into that golden circle because he had everything and, it, you know, what a gentleman he was on top of all of his physical attributes. He listened. He wanted to learn, you know, and just a great guy. You were happy for him. Mike Parker, uh, Parker, one of our listeners, he wants to know if you think Ron should have won this match or was it too soon to take it off of Luger? Yeah, I don't think you had to establish Luger having a title reign before it meant anything for anybody to beat him. Start passing the title around, it waters it down. Yeah, he, he mentioned, he said, was it worth risking Luger losing momentum as a top heel in the company for Simmons to win the world title uh, at this point? And it wasn't. You know, you're nope. shaking your head now. So there you go. Nope. Uh, finally, you and Larry, we wrestled the Patriots, Firebreaker Chip and Todd Champion in a spot on the card you're very familiar with, the semi-main event. Uh, we have the interaction with Wyndham as well as the finish of your first pay-per-view title defense. Our final clip starts off with that uh, interaction at the beginning where this hand gets slammed into the car door, and then we're going to uh, close down this clip with that uh, victory for your team on our final clip of the week. Here we go. I see it's Barry Wyndham and Dustin Rhodes. Welcome to Halloween Havoc, Barry Wyndham. I can't believe you. Wait, wait a minute. Thank you, Hey, what's up? God. Dustin Rose, Barry Wyndham. Get in there, man. Take you to the hospital. Come on. Oh, man, what a way to start Halloween Havoc. Barry Wyndham. Injured at the hands of Arn Anderson, Dustin Rhodes, they're making their way to the hospital. And this time, the neckbreaker was executed quite well. And Zabisco, uncharacteristic for Zabisco, Tony, he didn't hook up that leg and cinch it up. And Champion's got real long legs, and that's going to help him kick out. It's going to help him every time. I think it, it shows how cocky of an athlete Larry Zabisco really is. I don't think he wanted to pin him. He's a guy that wants to play Michael Jordan in golf. Yeah, right. Todd Champion fighting back. Best way he knows how. And they're tag made. There's a tag made. Champion again, unaware of it. And he got caught right from behind. Art Anderson again, again, and again. That's why he's great. Boy, does he know what he's doing or what? Man, he's like a point guard distributing the offense. That's right. Backbreaker, lateral press, and again, we have to hand it to Todd Champion. Now, he has been battered. Quite frankly, they have dominated him physically with some tremendous teamwork. And he 
continues to hold on. Well, Todd's a good kid, and Todd knows they certainly are the underdogs coming into this match. But Todd will never give up. We've seen that from you before. Good counter move. That was raw strength. That's all that was. He got his body under him. He just muscled up Larry Zabisco. Now Zabisco makes the tag, but so does Todd Champion. Now Chip is in there. This is what he's waited on. Man, he's got a surge of energy. Power moves, and now it goes to the air. He can't continue to fight both men, though. The referee's got to take charge and get the other man out. Got him up. Waist locks him. Trying to make an adjustment there, and he did it. That's great strength. Modified slam, and Zabisco saved the pin there. Todd Champion, he just knocked Zabisco down on his old duff. This is not helping Chip the Firebreaker at all to get the referee's attention turned away. Got him with a reverse elbow there. A little chaotic here. And Zabisco knocked outside. Chip bounced right back into the arms of Anderson. He got the spine buster. He hooks the leg, and they win it. Ladies and gentlemen, the winners and still world tag team champions. Double A on Anderson, living legend Larry Zabisco, the Enforcers. Jim, you mentioned about the offensive ability of Arn Anderson, the gourd buster, the spine buster, the power slam. It was the spine buster that prevailed. It's always an exciting move. And once again, experience overcomes youth. And once again, the world tag team champions are the enforcers. Tony Schiavone's out of WWF in 89, so now he remembers the name of your move again. Did you Finally. Yeah, He's allowed to say it. Imagine that. <laughs> but listen, I want to talk about the beatdown at the beginning in the parking lot, the clip. Talk about how difficult is it to stage slamming someone's hand in a car door and making it look as realistic as that did. I feel like that's got to be tough. Well, it's Hollywood magic. Uh, I'm trying to think of the what was the props guy at that time. He was Hogan's guy. Lived... Uh, it's okay if you don't remember. Atlanta. But anyway, he, he was good. I mean, he was Ellis. It was well done, Ellis, man. Ellis well done. was the yeah. guy, and he put the put the thing together. It looked 100%. I wish we could have slowed it down a little bit and had him sell for a little bit longer before they just immediately threw him in and said, we guess get to the hospital. If they could have added two minutes to that clip and had Barry just down selling and had just an EMT that happened to be at the building come in, say, per se, and, and get out of it with all the chaos and stuff other than pulling the car off. Let it just finish up right there by the car. Yeah. You know what I mean? Let it breathe a little bit. Let, let us, it breathe. Let, let us see him in pain and writhing in pain. So important. Yeah. And it's just, you just, you know, it was a great concept, not fantastically executed, but the, the slam on the arm looked... <laughs> Hundred percent looks great, and uh, so that's what's awesome here is you guys are now going to be feuding with Wyndham and Rhodes. I mean, what a great way! And then here you do you wrap up your match here. You finish once again with what we call the greatest wrestling move in tag team history. The Spawn Buster gets you guys the win. You take advantage of that collision there at the end, and I love how this is consistent and with what we've been seeing with you and Larry since you joined forces. You guys are wrestlers. You want the titles. You wrestle us for them. 
That's been your moniker, and you continue to do that here. And Arn, that's going to conclude our coverage for October 1991. Before we get out of here this week, we're going to ask a few fan questions, and then we'll wrap up. A uh, friend of the show, Drew Landry, wants to know if you were disappointed that you weren't ever pushed for the world title. No. No, no. I've said many times before that wasn't important to me. Uh, you know, I had the television title, which I took a lot of pride in. I was tag champions many times with many opponents. Like I said, my goal was to be the guy on the other side of the locker room that everybody wanted to wrestle top to bottom. Gavin writes a fantastic question. Everybody asks about favorite tag team partners, but you had three of the greatest managers ever in J.J. Dillon, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and Paul Lee uh, Dangerously, obviously, then. Acknowledging they're all undeniably great, what was your order of preference for those three? Uh, J.J. will always be a horseman as much as anybody. Bobby Heenan was a great rub for us going up there. It gave us star quality right away uh just like paulie like we didn't know what we had in a manager really or to the extent and heights that he would i mean he's still around today and still featured still relevant he's the you know the number one manager with wwe uh probably in that order though for me personally and to your point, too, he was still fairly young at this point, right? 26, I think we said. So he still has a lot of learning to do and a lot of, uh, you know, he's going to start his own wrestling company and get really, really good at what he does in the future. Uh, our buddy Bryant Haremza has our final three questions. He says, first, Arn, Gene Anderson passed away this month on October 31st. Do you have any good Gene stories? Oh, just that he had a hell of a hell of a grip in his right hand and would be at, you know, promos. And on Wednesday morning, be out, and Gene was in charge of that, and he would just kind of walk up to you when you were going to be due, and he'd go, okay, you guys are next, let's go. Let's go, yeah, I know, I know, Gene. And he'd <laughs> grab you by the trap, and you would go where he wanted you to go. What a grip. Mm. Brian also asked, you and Larry faced the U.S. Tag Team Champions a lot during this time. Did you feel there was a need to have U.S. Tag Titles at this time? Also, by having them, did it devalue the main World Tag Team Titles a little bit? I don't think those titles meant anything. I don't think it devalued the World Titles, but the U.S. Titles meant nothing. Yeah, they meant nothing at this point. I agree. And then finally, Brian asked, in early October, WCW has several women's matches. Medusa, Leilani Kai, Bambi, and Judy Martin all come into the promotion. Was there a plan um, that you know of to start a women's division at this time, or were these matches more of an attraction? Attraction. Okay. I don't think they were, you know, that was the beginning of a big girls' movement or ladies' movement or women's division, whatever you want to call it. Uh, there were just a few ladies. Medusa was really, really good, really talented, very athletic, looked great. She had everything. She was kind of the, the best representative of, of women's wrestling at that time. And it was great. To, I'm glad that she was a part of the Dangerous Alliance, too. She she added a fun element to that group, too. She was so. an asset big time. Absolutely. I know Rude used her in his matches quite a bit. 
Well, Arne, that's going to wrap us up this week's for this week's episode. Be sure to check out our socials for the upcoming topics. Don't forget to go to arnlinks.com for all things Enforcer, including links to the merch at both the Arn and Horseman stores. Arn, the hats and jackets are coming in clutch, and everyone loves the quality and comfort of both. And you have, I think you have some hats there with you, don't you? Speaking of hats, yeah, they're had them at some live events and comic cons and stuff and people really like them because man they look look at that white one Mm, i mean awesome if you're a black hat guy it's just quality work man they look good they're not gaudy but they stand out and uh they're mine's on order buddy i can't wait i got a black one so i'll be wearing that when we do the shows i love it if you're a guy like we are and you go to baseball games or you fish or you do whatever that you wear a hat for, this is the one, guys. And, and it's yeah. and it's classic. That's awesome. So, guys, listen, check it out, arnlinks.com. Find all things Enforcer. And uh, check out our YouTube page. It's on there as well, youtube.com forward slash arn. And do us a favor, like, subscribe, and turn on those notifications. Man, that, that helps us out tremendously, helps Arn Anderson out. And I know that you love hearing him and hearing his stories. So please, if you could do that for us, that would be great. We would sincerely appreciate it. Double A next week, we're going to continue to walk through your career. And uh, you and Larry, welcome back. Ricky, the Dragon Steamboat at the Clash of the Champions, putting the tag titles on the line against Steamboat and Dustin Rhodes. The formation of the Dangerous Alliance is complete, and there will be a new United States champion. So, man, I cannot wait for that one. Join us next week to find out all about it. And, guys, make sure you check out adfreeshows.com. That's where you can find all kinds of great content over there, lots of podcasts. If you're a fan of Jim Crocker Promotions, there's a great show uh, over there called The Book, where they're working with David Crockett on going through Jim Crockett's original handwritten notes. Also, interview with Gary Juster, who's done and said it all in the wrestling business on uh, The Insiders. Plus, Arn and I just did a bonus show over there. We were answering a lot of questions from a lot of the ad-free show members. Uh, so check it out over there. Arn, thank you so much for doing the show again with me this week. Tell somebody about it, guys. We know you'd all love your help. Let's get that listener count up. There you go. I'm going to let you go. Sounds like the phone's ringing, Arn. On behalf of the enforcer, Arn Anderson, this is Paul Bromwell, and we'll see you right back here next week on Arn. Hey, everybody. This is Dan Bespris, host of Fantasy NBA Today, a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game every day, plus bonus shows on buy low opportunities, players to stash, schedule analysis, and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces. Catch the Fantasy NBA Today podcast, part of the Believe Network, on YouTube or wherever you listen.